And with that said, I can't wait to start drawing for you. I love drawing. I love being visual and being creative in what we communicate. Uh, and uh, this series is sort of designed for that. But before I dive into the, the theme, uh, we're going to look at uh, drawings to help you stay married and be a good parent. But before we go there, I have to draw some presuppositions because it really flavors uh, the rationale of the rest of the presentation. And so let me grab a couple of markers back here. And I'll, I'll draw a, a little key down here. So would you say complication? C stands for complication. Um, S, would you say stress? And then uh, A and D is, would you say anxiety and depression? Sounds like a nice motivating day, doesn't it? Um, and then P, would you say pain? And then C and C is, uh, say, conflict and confusion. In the book, I, I try to explain my approach to preaching, teaching, ministry. And uh, part of how I grew up determines talking about stuff like this. Uh, I believe that the Bible uh, is good for you as a human being, what it says. Some people mistakenly refer to the Bible as a book of do's and don'ts. They reveal their lack of understanding. The Bible was written for human beings by the one who created human beings, and so it is good for us. And what I want to draw for you is at least my intuitive sense after 45 years of ministry plus in my own life and the lives of people I've been with, uh, why, one of the biggest drivers to why God says thou shalt not. And I believe that as human beings, the first C say complication. I know you're out there, all right? All right, say complication. You were only, thank you. Pat that child on the back. All right. You were only meant to handle a certain level of complication in life. And when it gets too high, say stress, it creates stress. And then anxiety and depression, say anxiety and depression. And then with complication, stress, anxiety, and depression, pain, whether it's emotional, physical, relational, mental, say pain. And then there is... Loads of conflict and confusion. Say conflict and confusion. These rise in the presence of and are often caused by sin. And from what I can see, God's an incredible divine genius. One of the clearest reasons he says thou shalt not is because when you do what he says thou shalt not, it is going to complicate your life. It's going to add stress make you anxious, depressed, have pain, confusion, conflict. These things rise exponentially. The more sin, the more thou shalt not are what we shall. And what God intends for us is well-being and what statisticians say is that well-being is inversely proportional to the amount of complication, stress, anxiety, depression, pain, conflict, and confusion is in your life. The more these are there, the less that's going to be there. And yet, what did Jesus say he came to bring us? He came to bring us life, life more abundantly, well-being, if you will. And one of the reasons he says don't do it is because when you do it, when you sin, think about, the, think about your big sins, not the ones you think are little sins, but think about the big ones. All right? That really hurt, that really rocked your world, that did damage to you or somebody else, that caused these things. I've never met someone deep into addiction say, oh, I have such a great sense of well-being now that I'm addicted. I've not met people saying, that affair was amazing. I'm so glad. My well-being is so enhanced because of my unfaithfulness. I'm so glad I committed the crime. I mean, whatever it is, all right? Unless we did the lesser things as well. The addiction. They're inversely proportional. And that's why God says, don't do that. Because as you do that, this is going to drop. And so we live on a fallen planet. So there's going to be a certain level of, of conflict and, and 
complication and pain and anxiety and depression, but manageable levels of it so that our sense of well-being can thrive. This is why God says, thou shalt not. Because if you don't, these can be manageable and your well-being can thrive. So for me, he's not out to kill your fun. Doesn't want to ruin your joy and no, control your life. No, he knows how you're made, and so he wants to maximize that for you. With that said, then, let's go to uh, the subject we want to talk about. God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman for life, for good reasons. Till death do we part. And uh, the, the perspective on that is found in Matthew 19, verse 3. It says, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Uh, Jesus, is it okay to have no-fault divorce? And what he does there is he says, so we're in the book of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. And what Jesus does in answering the, New Testament, in the question of the New Testament, or he goes back thousands of years to the second chapter of the Bible, Genesis, where God created humanity, male and female, knew it wasn't good for them to be alone, and so he created the institution, the relationship of marriage till death, do us part, and he reinforces that. Now, as we go into that, <clears throat> let's be realists. How many of you would agree that relationships can be wonderful? All right? Relationships can be rewarding. Relationships can be challenging. In fact, they can be difficult the whole continuum. And uh, I would suggest to you that marriage, the marriage relationship is no exception. Wonderful, rewarding, challenging, and difficult. And so let me draw for you, and uh, again, I'm going to impose the way I respond and learn on you, whether it's fair or not. I'm insight-oriented for the most part, and so if I get an aha from something, that aha can usually motivate me then to take action and take steps more so than I would without having that, that light bulb switch on in my brain. And so what I'm hoping today is that when I draw things, you have that, oh, moment, and then that'll motivate some, some looking for wisdom and for change in, in small but meaningful ways. So the first thing we want to do is... Uh, let me draw for you marriage and family. Here's a husband, here's a wife. Let's give them just one son and one daughter. How many spouses or parents are here? Let me see your hand. I don't care what age. All right, so majority of us. And how many of you have more than one, one of each? Okay, all right, so you, you, you can draw a bigger drawing, right? Uh, so let's look at the, the relationship constellations that are possible. First of all, you have the husband and the wife. You have uh, the son and the daughter. You have the husband with the son, the wife with the daughter, the wife with the son, the husband with the daughter. You have the two of them together with the parents. You have two of them with mom. You have two of them with dad and vice versa. And all in all, let's see, there are, oh, and then you have them with them and them with them. There are like 11 relationships possible in that one group of four, two parents, two kids. Now, that doesn't stop there. Uh, let's go ahead and, in fact, if you're, if you're wondering, there's husband, wife, husband, son, husband, daughter, wife, son, wife, daughter, son, daughter, husband, son, daughter, wife, son, daughter, husband, wife, son, daughter, husband, wife, son, husband, wife, daughter. So that's the 11, okay? So you can go back and watch this online and go real slow and write that down. <laughs> let's add life to this, okay? So I'm going to erase that because I'll need room for life. So you repeat after me. Let's, assume, let's say school. Say school. We're going to make them both in school age. And then say homework. HWK, HWK, assuming that they do it. Um, let's say work. 
work? Okay, my writing's get really messy. Um, let's say sleep. You got to sleep sometime. I forgot that. You know, all, all weekend long until now. Okay, you're making me tired. Um, let's say sports. Let's say dance. Who knows? Maybe you dance. You dance. All right. Just fun. Say fun. Because one of the biggest priorities we have is our kids' fun and their popularity. So let's say friends. And we've got friends over here. Hopefully mom and dad have some friends. They are usually the parents of their kids' friends. Let's say date night. Whatever that might be. Uh, let's say exercise. Hopefully you're doing something, even if it's just a walk a few times a week. Uh, let's say chores. Say it again. Let's hope everybody in the family is pulling their weight. Say it again. Say it again. Say I wish. <laughs> no. All right. Um, let's see. Taxi. Come on, say it again. Taxi. Taxi. Say it again. Because you're running them all over. Say dinner. All right. I don't know who. Say it again. I don't know who's making it, who's buying it, who's passing out a bag or whatever, but dinner, okay? Uh, and let's say church. Sadly, that's about where it lands on most families' uh, plates. Uh, let's see. Oh, let's say family, extended family. Let's say holidays. Say vacation. Gotta take the vacation. Anybody stressed yet? So the first aha is, whoa, look what we're trying to do here. I'll, I'll remind you that we were only made to handle a certain level of complication and stress and uncertainty. And I'd say we might be pegging the meter right there. So first of all, that explains for you the wonder I feel that, uh, that I feel and pushed and pulled. If we had uh, some modern-day emojis, let's emojify this. I'm not sure if that's a word. If it isn't, I made it up. I invented it. All right. Let's emojify it. Certainly, you're going to have this emoji, because there's a lot of happiness and fun with our family we love. Um, but you're probably going to have this guy emoji, like, like the, what? Right? Um, you probably have this guy, emoji, maybe tears, okay. Uh, certainly, I will add this emoji. That's the praying hands, you know. Lord, pray for me, okay, all right. And I don't know what are the ones that you might add. Uh, but then I want us to, I know that this shoe doesn't fit everyone. Because in this room, there are also people who are like, okay, what about if we've been married more than once? And so let's take a moment and consider those of you that fall in the biblically permitted remarriage category. I use those words on purpose. I'm pretty intentional with what I, the wordsmithing. Biblically permitted, what's that? Well, the Bible only gives two circumstances under which a person can feel the spiritual, biblical freedom to divorce and remarry. Jesus gave one of them, you can read it in Matthew 19, we were just there, and he says, if the other spouse has a lifestyle of adultery, you are free to divorce and remarry. And I would even, in this day and age, be open to on-screen adultery. Um, the other one Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he says if a spouse abandons a spouse because I'm not a Christian and you are, I want nothing to do with your faith, I'm out of here. The abandoned spouse, spiritual desertion, they are free to end that marriage and remarry. So assuming you're in that category, if not, uh, you worked that out with the Lord. Um, let's draw that. So we have husband, wife. We have son, daughter. We have all these relationships, and however that went, there's 11, okay? And then, we're going to break this one by divorce. And then let's say each of these spouses, she remarries, 
husband. And let's just say he has two kids, one son and one daughter. So they, they get out of their marriage and they, uh, they both marry somebody like them, two kids. Okay? Let the drawing of lines begin. Because relationship, 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 uh, relationship of some sort, vice versa, then there, 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 there. You want them to get along with that, and you want them both to get along there, and then getting along there and there. As you draw all the lines out, you can do it on your own. There are at least 38 relationship configurations in that. 38. Anybody else feeling, what? Add to that, now you, oh, we forgot grand, well, we have extended family. All, all the grandparents over here, okay, you have her grandparents, his grandparents. Now you got grandparents, 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 grandparents. You got holidays, they get complicated, birthdays, every special event gets complicated. You got sports, you got school, you got homework, you got work, you got work, you got work, you got work. Um, and then you have dinner and chores and, who, and taxi. Talk about taxi. It is complicated enough to figure out who gets, when, who gets what child to what event where here. And over here, is it my week? Is it not my weekend? Who's in charge? I mean, it just gets ridiculously complicated. Can I hear an amen or an oh me? Does, is that hopefully all of a sudden helping those of you trying to live this or trying to live this at least go, that's why it's so hard sometimes. That's why I feel so stressed and overwhelmed. And when we consider those drawings and we look at this, let me go back to a current, a common theme expectations we talked about last week, the bigger the gap between your expectations and your experience. A big gap is happy or sad? Sad, right? Because, wow, I expected this and I got this. I don't think anybody going into this fully expects this. But live this long enough, this accumulates. That's why if you get married at CLC or with one of our pastors, we require you to go through our mentoring, our marriage mentoring, and they'll help you through a test called Symbus, saving your marriage before it starts, to at least have proper expectations of what married life is going to be. And if you lower your expectations, uh, it helps narrow that gap. And the other thing is, how can you improve your experience, um, whether it's mentoring, counseling, um, uh, be part of a small group just for relationship's sake. Uh, say Right Now Media. Because Right Now Media is kind of like Netflix for Christians. And it has things for kids, for families, uh, great teachings. It also has resources about marriage and relationships. And, and if you belong to CLC, go to our website, you get that for free. We pay like, I don't know, $8,000 for a subscription. It's yours for free. And so, narrow expectations... What can we do to improve our experience as a husband, as a wife, as a parent? And then this gap becomes manageable and enjoyable. But there is still the question with all this, when you get overwhelmed by that, uh, well, it's emoji day here at CLC. We'll draw this guy. I don't know, right? I draw that guy a lot. I don't know. So, if you're here and like, help, or if you're here and like, help, what do we do? A few things. Uh, the first is I would suggest that we, Bible says if we lack wisdom, pray. Say pray for wisdom. God, what do I do? Pastor Stan drew that out there, and I'm like, wow, okay, I'm feeling a whole lot of complication and stress, no longer anxiety and depression, pain. I, help, give me wisdom. Lord, add even to this drawing, give us wisdom, now what? And that's nothing new. In fact, whenever we do a baby dedication, 
Uh, I have parents on the stage, and if you have been here very long, I can pretty much say this by heart, but I'll read it to you. I say, parents, do you now, upon your confession of dedication, commit yourself to the best you know, to raise your child to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Do you commit to instilling within these precious little ones a healthy sense of love and esteem, not only for God, but for themselves and others? And do you pledge that you will, in those moments when you don't know what to do, call upon the wisdom of God who promised to grant to all who ask? And they all say, I do. And boy, that's one of the most important things to do through your whole married life, your parenting life, and that is pray for wisdom. The next thing you want to consider praying for, Lord, give me strength. And then pray for unity. Say unity. And there's a reason why I encourage you to pray for wisdom, strength, and unity in that order. Because the next one here is where you might get a little aggravated with me, but not a popularity contest. This is where you get defensive. Wisdom, yes. Strength, yes. Unity, yes. God, what do I do about all of that? What do I do about all of that in the middle of it? Here's where you need strength and courage and wisdom as a family unity to pray for this last thing. Say simplify. How do I, do we simplify our lives? How do I simplify, how do we simplify this? How do we simplify this? Why in the world are you telling us to simplify? Don't you know? We got to, we'll defend our craziness and our busyness and our schedules and our activity because nobody objected when I drew this and said, you know what? One of the biggest reasons God says thou shalt not and one of the biggest reasons God gives us guidelines in that book is because we can only handle so much complication. And chances are, your meter's pegged and you're beyond what you were required to manage. And so something is slipping through the cracks. Something is getting stressed out and missed. Something is not getting the attention or energy or time. And so pray for wisdom. God, give me wisdom. Give us strength. Unite us as a family on how we can simplify our life, our marriage, our fill in the blank. And so here's what I want us to do. Would you say baby steps? Because it is not... How many of you remember what an Etch-a-Sketch is? Okay, all those old folks, right? Um, it's kind of like the delete button, okay? But it was a, it was a little thing like this, yay big, and, and it, you turned knobs and drew pictures in like sand. And when you were done with the picture, you just shook it, and it was gone. See, you've got an adversary. What Satan wants to tell you is when this here or this here is too complicated, too stressful, too painful, too much conflict, too much confusion, too much anxiety or depression. What he wants to tell you is just etch a sketch. It's just, just start over. That's your answer. God doesn't say, thou shalt not. Doesn't say in Malachi, I hate divorce because he wants you to stay stuck in that miserable. He says, no, because I know if this is a 40% divorce rate, guess what? Add 50% higher rate to it, this is a 60% divorce rate, and it goes up with consecutive marriages. Thou shalt not, because you can't handle too much complication, stress, anxiety, pain, conflict, and confusion. So here's one of the, so Satan wants you to punt on it or get so overwhelmed with it, you just give up and don't change anything. So say baby steps. Everybody stand up. Look at this for just a moment. Holy Spirit, while we look at these drawings, give us personal aha moments. Speak to us about things that are not where they could be in our life. Okay? Now, my prayer is not that you walk out of here and you just totally redo your life. We made all these 180 turns in our marriage and our family. No, no, but that because that tends to not last. You know, I try to go to Planet Fitness three or four times a week all year long. Well, it was nice that I ride my bike instead. But sure enough, in January, I, did, I do not like Planet Fitness. It is jammed. I went there yesterday morning. It's back down to the non-resolution crowd. All right? And so it, it was wonderful, okay? So we're not making big, huge, change-it-all resolutions. But we're going to say baby steps. All right, start taking baby. Right where you're. Just start baby stepping. Okay, do it. 
right? Now I want you to go around a circle, 300 degrees, 60 degrees, and just say baby step three times. Come on, baby steps, baby steps, baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. May God grant you baby steps of improvement and health and simplification in your life. Okay, amen? All right, sit down. Have a seat. Now I want to change gears and encourage parents to remember to draw the right conclusions from three important Bible passages. And before we dive into those passages, how many of you as parents have ever been in a good mood? Not your question. Raise your hand. Hopefully. You're poor kids if you don't. All right. How many of you have ever been a parent in a bad mood? Okay. How many of you as a parent have ever been really consistent with, with like the guidelines and discipline? I just real consistent. Man, I'm doing it. I'm killing it. Boom. Let me see. Come on. Whoa. We're going to stop and pray right here. <laughs> no. All right. How many of you are inconsistent? Boy, you blew it. All right. I mean, we can go on and on. All right. Healthy boundaries. And boy, it's, you know, when it's right at 8 o'clock in the morning, it's, it's right or wrong at 8 o'clock at night. And from Monday to Saturday. But how many of you have ever found that the tireder you get, the harder it is to do discipline and boundaries and no and yes and all that, okay? So life uh, is a bit of a roller coaster. And if we're not careful, uh, we can make our parenting a roller coaster. And I'm in a good mood as a mom or a dad. And then I'm in a bad mood as a mom or a dad. And I do really good with what's right and wrong. I'm a permitted not. And then I, it doesn't matter. And then I'm a really good disciplinarian. And then I'm horrible at it or I'm too harsh at it or whatever. And take yourself off of that parental roller coaster. And your kids will be really glad if you take yourself off that parental roller coaster. And instead, let me, let me draw for you. Say worst me. Here's your worst you. No, I'm just saying that. Okay. Say best me. I love it when, as a parent, whether they're 18 months or 18 years old, I, I tend to feel like it was easier to parent 18-month-old or 18-year-old. Any amens to that? It gets complicated, right? But I, I, I love I'm the best me, but I wasn't always my best me. Sometimes I was uh, my worst me. And, and Satan has a heyday when we have these days. And then on top of it, there's this thing called social media that studies are abundant that the more time you spend on social media, they are directly correlated that you, are, you have more ang anxiety and depression the more time you spend on social media. Just a fact. Because as a parent, when parents spend time on social media, guess what? You look at every wife, every mom or every dad that is just killing it. They are their best me all the time, every post. No, they're not. They're just showing you the highlight reel, right? And, and you don't know, two, two minutes later, the, the kid was screaming, and you're horrible. I don't know. And so let me, let me sort of alleviate some pressure for you. Um, aim here. There's your target. There's your bullseye. Aim to be a good enough parent. Not perfect, because you're not going to be. Repeat after me. I am not the first perfect parent on the planet. Say it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're sure right about that. <laughs> but you're also not the worst parent on the planet. I remember when our kids were, I don't know, probably middle school, high school, I goes, how am I doing as a dad? Am I like okay as a dad? Yeah, you're okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to be perfect. I want to at least be okay. Yeah, you're okay. Aim there. And with that said, let's dive into uh, three verses that I think are helpful for parents. The first one is Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are a gift. They were given to you by God. And you are a steward. You are to, to steward their life, to maximize the potential God placed in them, 
to discern and discover what God's plan and path is for them and to help be women beneath their wings to become and to accomplish that. And I would like to, I don't know, suggest to you, remind us that as Christian parents, we march to the beat, we should march to the beat of a different drummer, and we should have probably a different target goal for our children than our peers do for their children if they are not Christ followers. I believe that parents should parent their sons and daughters with 2 Corinthians 5.10 in mind. Not in your notes. Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one... On the count of three, say the names of all your kids. Just listen out loud. One, two, three. Those people, they... Assuming that they accept Christ, they are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed, rewarded for their deeds in the body according to what they have done, whether good or bad. Your son, your daughter, your kids are going to have that day somewhere uh, in eternity. My hope would be that they look you up in heaven after and say, Mom, Dad, thank you so much for helping me live a life from an early age to know that the most important thing is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You prepared me for that and the rewards I received for my obedience and honoring and serving Christ. Thank you. God forbid, I don't think they'll avoid you in heaven, but they say, you never told me. You were the parent. Why do we spend all our time and energy and money and calendar on things that didn't last? And it's hard. You know, we had an athlete in our family, and, and it, it's hard, but it's doable. And somewhere is a box, I think, full of first-place ribbons and a few participation trophies. And, I mean, our daughter got a scholarship to Notre Dame. I mean, there's NCAA trophies in there, big stuff. They're in a box. Collecting dust. And how many parents get so distracted that you're not preparing your son or your daughter for that? And we live such complicated lives. It can be done. It's hard. I'll admit it's hard. We had to pick AAU teams that would only have two weekends away. Those aren't the good teams, but you're going to be in church. And the good thing for all you parents and athletes, we got church on Saturday at 5. Get done and get here. I don't care if they're smelly in their sweats. Bring them. We got church twice on Sunday. It's hard. But someday when all the din fades away and, and when all the trophies no longer matter, raise your children, live your family and your life for what truly matters. And avoid the complication. <laughs> Parents need to raise their children to maximize their potential that God has given them. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go. Even when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And it's really important to dive into those phrases there. Uh, one commentary made the analogy that in the way they should go means according to their bent. I'm not a a bonsai tree expert in any way. I remember seeing Mr. Miyagi doing it, all right? Um, but those bonsai trees, you trim them according to the way they're bent. You make them a work of art. Your kids aren't the same, amen? I used to say, it blows my mind how two people could be so different coming out of the same woman, but they were. It is your responsibility to be a student of your kid. And not comply to what culture says your kids are supposed to do, whatever. But no, discern that and then help cultivate that, even down to discipline, because the way you discipline one child, you discipline introverts and extroverts very differently. You discipline strong-willed children from compliant children very differently. I, I feel bad for the parents of multiple kids who say, you know, we had four or five, whatever, how many kids, and, and, and some turned out great, some have all kinds of problems, but we raised them all the same. I want to go... That's your problem. You can't raise them all the same because they're not all the same. 
It's your responsibility to train them according to their bent to help them maximize the potential God gave them. So when they stand here, God's like, good job, Dad. Way to go, Mom. That's what I had in mind. And the third one, mutual respect should guide the parent-child relationship as parents help children grow and walk with God. And again, in the book, there are discussion questions or you know, follow-up questions. And Wednesday night, we have a deeper dive. If you want to go deeper in this, join us in the West Odd for that. All right? Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents. Say obey. In the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Say honor. Which is the first commandment with a promise. And here's the promise. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Pause button. One of the keys to adult well-being is the early parent-child relationship. If you had a good one, you know it. If you had a bad one, you know it. And turn, treating the right level of honor and respect between is invaluable. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Obey is to comply with or follow the commands and restrictions, the wishes and instructions. Obey is to submit or conform in action. And I think the idea of obedience between kids and parents is a fading concept, much to our dismay. Honor is to hold with high respect and to show a courteous regard for. Is that what you would describe? And it's my old-fashioned conviction that you cannot do well with a healthy level of obedience and honor. And it's not iron fist leadership. But you can't do well with that if parents are obsessed with being the BFF of their son their daughter, their best friend. You're a parent, not a buddy. You still enjoy them. It's, I, I love being a dad. It's wonderful. But it's different. And he says, don't provoke your kids. Don't exasperate them. Don't incite them to anger. But bring them up in the discipline, which is training according to rules with consequences, plus and minus, and instruction in the Lord. So what are you teaching your kids? And how are you enforcing that? Because children are created to thrive in a lovingly disciplined, structured, directed environment. So, final drawing. I'm going to go over here. I'm having a ball today. Two boards completely full of drawings. Um, a couple of extremes. Say dictator. Say pushover. Some of you already know which camp you're in. Iron fist parenting is not healthy parenting. You, you rule by force and by fear. But likewise, a pushover parent where you feel guilty saying no to anything, that's not good either. And again, I tend to be a, a moderation kind of a person. I won't surprise you. Again, aim here. Discipline, say firm. Fair, friendly. Yeah, that's what I said. It should be firm. Your yes is yes, your no is no. It should be fair so that the consequence should meet the crime, so to speak. I feel bad for parents that their child does one small thing. You are grounded for a year. Take all this out. If you, if you, if you go all the way... I'm, Discipline them just enough to get a corrected response, whatever that level is. You pile it on way past what's acceptable, what's necessary, and guess what your child says? Well, what else are they going to take away from me? Well, I might as well do what I do. So make it firm, make it fair, and friendly. Now, I'm not saying, hey, buddy, you're in trouble. It's not that kind of friendly, all right? <laughs> but if you're, like, super furious and angry, cool down before you apply discipline and consequences. We're going to talk later, young man, all right? And so balance that. A few things that are in the book. Develop and practice healthy communication. Show mutual respect while being the parent. Avoid nagging and yelling because these show your discipline is ineffective if you keep repeating and getting, it and getting louder. And let me toss another one there. I'm just step on toes for fun now. Um, I have never, I've been pulled over by Ohio's finest when they invited me to park on the shoulder of a, far, a freeway. And their lights are going. And they walk up to me and they say something. This is get my driver's license, give my driver's license, Mr. Tharp. You know what the speed limit is here? 
I usually do. You know how fast you were going? I often don't. They tell me, I've never had one of Ohio's finest go, now Mr. Tharp, that's one. <laughs> Next time they pull me over, they, I've never had them go, from what I understand, that's two. That's three. No, you know what they do? They take my license, they go back to their car, they hand me a piece of paper, it's going to cost me 150 bucks, that's one. <laughs> what are you teaching your children about authority? That's one. I said, I said, and they're thinking, I heard you the first time you said it at a normal level. I'm just not paying attention because you've trained me that I don't have to listen to authority. And the danger in that is, yeah, with police and bosses and all the people that are in authority un under in their life, but they also realize the one who says, thou shalt not Just God. And then avoid materialism. In the most materialistic culture in history, the best thing you can give and do for your kids, money can't buy. How many of you ever noticed that your kids often enjoy the box more than the toy that came with it? I remember when, we, when kids were little, we'd, we'd sneak away a couple days during the Christmas season, find a couple empty, and we'd go to uh, Pigeon Forge on uh, my day off, and we'd drive back for the Christmas festivities. And I remember we took the kids and we stayed in a hotel. The rates are dirt cheap during the week. And so Jonathan's this little guy. Lauren was in a uh, car seat. And so they had a, a whirlpool, an indoor pool, all right? And Jonathan called the, the hot tub the circle pool, all right? So we did that and we did a couple of comedy shows, whatever, and ate out to eat and so on our way home. So what was your favorite thing about going to Tennessee? The circle pool, I said to Joyce, we pay all this money to come down here, and he likes the free hot tub, right? <laughs> it's stuff money doesn't buy. And here's one huge disservice we are doing for our children now. Delayed gratification is good for your character. It's good for your future success, for your ability to live a successful life. My parents were great people. I'm thankful for them. They didn't give me tons of stuff that I wanted. In fact, almost nothing. You get a paper out, earn it, buy it, save for it. And so when I did get my paper out and make 10 bucks a week, and I'd save my money, and then I would buy it. I earned, I bought this. Studies show over and over again that children who just get stuff given, 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 it, it is doing damage to their ability to have perseverance, to set goals and succeed, and we are non-verbally telling our children, you're kind of the center of this universe. This will all be structured around what you want to do for fun and your friends and popularity and what you want, you can have. And I mean, part of the unemployment problem now is because, man, I was in high school, I got, I got a job as soon as I could and all through college. It's a lost pursuit. And you're actually harming your child's ability to stay at it and to persevere and to succeed in life by not teaching them what delayed gratification is about. Finally, balance love and grace and joy and discipline and correction. Your goal is to enjoy each other and grow together. But it's complicated. It's not easy. But if you pray for wisdom, God will give it. He'll give you strength and unity. And as you prioritize and simplify your life, you can experience the joys that God meant for you to experience. There'll be some anxiety and some depression, but it'll be manageable levels. There'll be some stress that goes with it, but life more abundantly is what we can expect. But we have to do it on purpose. So I want to close by praying for you. I'm going to stand together with us. I want to pray for every parent here, every spouse. Plus grandparents in there too, because you have a huge part in this. And before I lead us, would you just bow with me and assuming that you've had some personal aha moments. It's not necessarily what I say that's significant, but what has God prompted you? Did you feel like something was dinged in your life or your relationships or your family? Is that okay, ask God for wisdom. Ask Him for help. I don't have your solutions, but God does. And so ask Him, God, guide me and direct us and show us. Thank him for your loved ones, for that son, that daughter, that husband, that wife, 
as parents. We take each other for granted. And we often fail to realize, wow, this is complicated, but with God's help, we can enjoy it. And Lord, I, I do pray for every husband and every wife. Thank you for bringing our spouses into our life. Thank you for the love and the, the value and the, the joy that you created them to bring to us. And Lord, forgive us for getting distracted by all the complications and stresses and issues in life. At the very least, help us to, not only with you, but with them, to return to our first love. To remember why we fell in love and said yes in the first place. Give us wisdom. Unite us together on how to spend our love and our life and our energy together toward each other and for you. I pray for every parent, married or not. God, I pray you'd help us to enjoy the kids you gave us. And, and those of us that are trying to sustain an overly complicated life that's beyond our capacity. Give us the courage to pray for wisdom. Show us what to simplify. And help us not to be distracted by the distractions, but to, but to hone in on the sons and daughters, the children, the grandchildren you've given us. And, and help us to love them in a way that money can't buy. Help us to speak into their life in a way that prepares them for not only this life, but for heaven. And I pray just a divine sense of encouragement and joy and appreciation and, and hopefulness for our future together as families in the context of being a church family. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Our team now wants to sing a blessing over you. Yes, to you, the Lord turn his face.
Amen. What an amazing time worshiping with you guys.